So let me read a document. Now I know you're going to know exactly what the document it is, but pretend you don't. And you tell me what time period this document could very well be describing. Okay? Now, you're smiling, and I know you're going to say, I know exactly what we were reading, but pretend you don't. Pretend you don't know what I'm reading. <clears throat> this is someone's personal account, and he said, Sometime in the second year after our removal to Manchester, there was in the place where we lived an unusual excitement on the subject of religion. I mean, we live in the middle of an unusual subject of religion, right? It's so divisive. Abortion and equal rights, and it's so what's right and what's wrong. And, and, and we've come to the point where, you know, people say, well, there is no right, and it's my right. You know, this is my truth. And there's an unusual excitement on the subject of religion. It commenced with one group, and it became general among all the other groups in that region. Indeed, the whole district of country seemed affected by it, and great multitudes united themselves to the different religious parties, which created no small stir and division among the people. Would you agree that you live in a day with, that is, I mean, these two words describe our day, wouldn't you agree? Stir and division. And everyone's saying, hey, I've got the truth over here. No, we've got the truth over here. And they're just arguing. He continues, for notwithstanding the great love which the converts to these different groups, we won't even limit it to churches, expressed at the time of their conversion and the great zeal manifest by their respective clergy who were active in getting up and promoting this extraordinary scene. Would you say that's our day? People are promoting this extraordinary scene and it's dramatic and they're angry and emotions are high and they're yelling at it. And then this is an interesting thought. He says, yet when one of the converts began to file off, some to one party and some to another, it was seen that the seemingly good feelings of both the priests and the converts were more pretended than real. For a scene of great confusion and bad feeling ensued. Boy, that's our day, isn't it? If you join the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, everyone welcomes you and you're, you're the greatest. And then if you were to leave, what would they do? They would turn against you. Those feelings are more pretended than real today. And there's a scene of great confusion and bad feelings. He describes his day as a strife of words and a contest about opinions. Boy, that's our day, isn't it? That is so descriptive of the world you live in. A strife of words and a contest about opinions. Now, this kid is 14 years old, not too far away from a 20-year-old or an 18-year-old. He says, so great was the confusion and the strife among the different denominations, it was impossible for a person young as I was and so unacquainted with men and things to come to any certain conclusion who was right and who was wrong. And I think that's common among young single adults. I, I'm just a kid and I'm watching all these people yell at each other and scream at each other and be angry. I don't know what to do. 
<clears throat> the cry and the tumult were so great and incessant. This group was most decided against that group, and they used all the powers of both reason and sophistry to prove their errors. Or at least to make the people think they were in error. Man, that's our day. You're wrong. You're wrong about this. You're wrong about that. And the other side are equally zealous in endeavoring to establish their own tenets and disprove all others. So we live in a world where everyone seems to be yelling at each other about what's right and where we should go. And I wonder if you have ever felt what this young 14-year-old felt in the midst of this war of words and tumult of opinions. I often said to myself, what do I do? Who is right? Who is wrong? How shall I know it? Do you see the challenge to be young in our day? I mean, you have so many wonderful opportunities, but you also face some major challenges because you live in a world where everyone is yelling and everyone is angry and there's bad feelings and everyone's trying to prove everyone else wrong. And no matter what you do, Someone's going to be mean about it and yell it. How often do you post on social media? Because why? It's become so toxic, right? It's become so toxic in this. This is the society in which we live. Isn't this fascinating? Now, you know, this is Joseph Smith's day, right? You know, this is the first vision. But boy, he's describing our day. So what was the solution? I want to focus on what I would probably say were the first words of the restoration. He went into a grove of trees and prayed and he got this simple explanation. What is the answer to living in a day of confusion? What is the answer to living in a day where people are mean and they're angry and everyone's trying to prove themselves wrong. What's the answer? The father appeared and said what? He pointed to Jesus and said, this is my beloved son. And two words, what are the two words? Hear him, find my son and hear him. Now, it's easy when he's standing in front of you. But what about our life? Where is Heavenly Father pointing today? Where is that finger pointing? Because we have to find him. We have to find his beloved son and hear him. The answer to all of our problems. When you don't know who's right and who's wrong, and boy, a lot of people are really convincing in their arguments. And, and I'm tempted. And I know people who leave the church because, boy, there are some very angry people out there who are throwing darts at the church and explaining all these things. And I don't know about this. And I don't understand plural marriage and all these things. It's like, I don't know where to go. Well, what do you do? The answer is simple, right? You find Jesus and you hear him, you listen to him. That is how the restoration began. 
And it is just as true today as it ever was. And I think it's going to be even more true. How many times has President Nelson said, you've got, if you're going to survive in the future, you've got to learn how to get personal revelation. The answer to every challenge is still this simple line. Where is he today? Where is God pointing today? Right there is my son. Go find him and hear him. Hear him. Then you'll be okay. In fact, let me give you the Doctrine and Covenants version of this. So this is how the, doc, this is how the, the restoration began. This is my beloved son. Hear him. I love what he does in the Doctrine and Covenants. In section 19 of the Doctrine and Covenants, verse 23. Boy, I love this version. Same idea. It's the same simple truth. But what does he say? You want to read it for me? I love that. Because what's hard to find in our day? Peace. It is hard to find. Social media has brought the world at our fingertips. And to see how many people are yelling and they're angry and everyone disagrees on what I should do. Here's the solution. Learn of me and listen to my words. Walk in the meekness of my spirit. And what will you have? If you let Jesus tell you what to do, if you focus your life on what is the Savior telling me to do, you will have peace. Now, let me show you a very fascinating application of that. So we've kind of done Pearl of Great Price in the first vision. This is the Doctrine and Covenants. Let's turn to the Book of Mormon. I want to show you how the Book of Mormon illustrates this. Let's turn eight chapters into the Book of Mormon, and let's go to Lehi's dream. We're just 1 Nephi chapter 8. Now, I want to point out, and I've done this in gray, four times in 1 Nephi, notice this, I saw numberless concourses of people. So he saw a group of people in verse 21. I've done all of these in gray. And then notice in verse 24. I'll wait till you get there if you want. Let me go back. I just want to point out, he saw four groups of people. Lehi saw four groups of people. Here's one. I saw numberless concourses of people. So there's one group. Verse 21 is one group. Verse 24, he says, and it came to pass that I beheld others. So there's another group, right? That's a second group. I beheld others. Now go down to verse 30. He saw other multitudes. There's a fourth group, right? He saw other multitudes. So he's now seen three different groups of people. And then if you go to verse 31, he also saw other multitudes. So Lehi is going to describe four groups of people. So I'm going to list them. We're going to go four, three, two, one. Let's see if we can talk about the four different groups of people that Lehi saw. 
Now I've numbered them, verse 31, I've numbered this as group number four. Verse 31 is group number four. I saw other multitudes. Now tell me about group number four. Okay, they are going straight to the building, right? They are going straight to the building. No rod, no tree, no fruit. They're going straight to the building. And what's interesting about how they're going? What do you think this means? Feeling there. Why do you need to feel your way there? Because they're blind. They're just blindly going to the building. And notice what's the result? They drowned. They're going straight to the building and they drown. Now, there's a lot of fours in the world today. No, no desire for the tree, no desire for the rod. They're just blindly going to the building. And that's sad, but that's a lot of people. So let's go to the threes. Now, I list the threes back in verse 21. 21 through 23. So tell me what words jump out of you. What do you notice about the, the threes? Now, each time, the group above is going to do something good that the group below doesn't do. So the threes do something that the fours don't. The threes don't go blindly to the tree or the building. What word jumps out of here? Pressing They're pressing forward. We never saw that with the fours. And notice this word. They obtained the path. They commenced in the path. They commenced in the path. Now, we don't want to be threes because what's the last word of verse 23? Where do the threes end up? They're lost. Okay, so this is not the goal, but they're doing something good, right? What's the good thing they're doing? They've started. They've commenced in the path, right? I'm going to call them the path yes people. And, and don't you know people who have commenced, you know? They've started the path. They've commenced in the path. Maybe they go to church. Maybe they've been baptized. But notice what word is not mentioned. There's two words that I'm noticing are not mentioning. The path which led to the tree, but do they ever get to the tree? And what word is missing here? They never grab the rod. So path, yes, but rod, no. And do you think it's a coincidence? Rod, no, tree, no. I don't think that's a coincidence. We know that there's a mist that's blinding people. These people are blindly going to the building, but these people at least are starting. They've commenced the path, but without a rod, are they going to get to the tree? No rod, no tree. So these people, the, the threes and the fours, never make it to the tree. Now the twos and the ones do. But I want to point out the end. Why is it that the threes get lost? The last word describing the threes is lost, but why do they get lost? 
they wander. They wander. Um, I'm going to put it right here. Why would someone wander? Because they don't have a direction. They don't know where to go. And commencing in the path is good. But without a rod, they're going to wander off. And they're going to get lost. Can you think of someone in your life that you love that is wandering because they really don't have direction? They're wandering. Now let's talk about the twos. Notice in the Book of Mormon, see the twos go from 24 all the way down to 29. Now the twos do something good, but I don't want you to think that this is the goal because what's the last word describing? They are also lost. The twos are lost. But what's the good thing? Look at verse 24 and tell me, What's the good thing the twos are doing? There's the word. They came forward and caught the end of the rod and they pressed forward through the darkness and clinging to the rod and until they did come forth and partake of the fruit of the tree. So is it a coin? We're going to say path, yes. It doesn't say path, but that's assumed. Path, yes. Rod, yes, and tree, yes. Is that a coincidence? Rod, yes, tree, yes. Rod, no, tree, no. I don't think that's a coincidence. I really don't think that's a coincidence. So where does that indicate that Heavenly Father is pointing and saying, there's my beloved son, hear him. It's the rod. And that's not just scriptures. It's personal revelation. It's all those things that give us direction. To commence and not have personal direction, you're going to wander. The twos grab the rod and they make it to the tree. Now, what's the negative about the twos? Um, they didn't cast eyes In other words, I'm going to say, stay is what? Did they stay? No. They didn't stay. They tasted the fruit and they didn't stay. Now tell me why they didn't stay. Look at this verse 25. After they had partaken of the fruit of the tree, they did cast their eyes about. Meaning what? They were looking where? At what other people think. They were looking at what other people, they're concerned about what other people think. And as soon as you start looking at them, they get ashamed. Now, here's what's interesting. How does it end for the twos? The last word is lost. But why do they get lost? They don't wander. They 
fall away. You see the difference? To not have a rod means you're probably going to wander. You don't have direction. And the, the world is so confusing, you're probably going to wander. And then when you have a rod and you have direction, it gets you to the tree. But notice that if you care about what everyone else thinks, after they had tasted, they were ashamed and they fall away. I think it's so significant that the twos fall away. Are you noticing that? People you love and care about are not wandering away, they're falling away. And what's the main reason they're falling away? They're listening to the wrong voices. They're listening to the voices of confusion. Now, let's go to the ones. Unfortunately, we've got to flip pages, so we're going to see it in two pages. Let's read it together. Ready? You read this page, I'll read the next page. Verse 30, let's talk about the ones. Continually holding fast to the iron rod until they came forth. And I think this is the key here. They came forth and fell down and partook of the fruit of the tree. So let's fill this out. Do they stay? So path? Yes. Rod? What would you say, obviously? Yes. Tree? Yes. Stay? Yes. So what made them different? They just didn't stay standing. They didn't. Or let's do two things. I want to point out two things. The one thing that made them different is they don't care what other people are saying. In fact, if you go to a few verses later, in describing the ones, what does Nephi say? We heeded them not. But the twos? So once you are commit to the rod, once you say, I am committed to the rod, one of two things is going to happen, right? What are they? If you look and worry and yield to what everyone else around you is saying, you are likely to fall away. But if you heed them not, do you see the difference? Are you seeing this in your life? Because I am seeing this in my life. Even with some of my own children. People who care what the world thinks are most likely to wander. And they don't have that peace that we talked about in the Doctrine and Covenants. 
So as simple as it is, what's the answer to living in the day in which we live? We can navigate things just fine if we find Jesus and what are the two words? Hear him. Hear him. Get your instructions from a divine source and you will have peace. Now, the other thing, I want to focus on this phrase. What do you think it meant that they fell down? They didn't trip. What, did, what do you think they meant it means when they fell down? Why would they get to the tree and fall down? Why would you fall down at the tree? Out of love and respect. Let me show you a couple other people who fell down. Ready? Look at this one. I'm going to open up the New Testament. And let's do a couple people that fell down. First of all, I love this one. Um, Let's start here. Let me see if I can get it big. All right, ready? As he entered into a certain village, there met him 10 men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Can you imagine having leprosy? Having your just body fall apart, your fingers fall off, your nose fall off. I can't imagine a more horrible disease. I would cry out, Master, have mercy on me. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, so they're obedient, right? They're listening to what he says. So they're going to the priest. They were cleansed. The leprosy is gone. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. Why does he fall down? Absolute 100% gratitude. That's why we fall down. Let me show you another one. Oh, I just thought of another one. Let's do this one. This one's a really good one too. Um, Jesus is going to eat with a Samaritan. Let's start here. This is Luke 7. One of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. What did, why is she doing this? This is a sinner who's sorry and is repentant, right? And she is seeking him. She wants him in her life. 
and she's falling down. Do you see that common theme? Let me do you one more. Let's, let me show you a couple people, a group of people who go into the celestial kingdom. John in the book of Revelation has a vision of the celestial kingdom. And he sees a group of people in the celestial kingdom. I just want to point out that he says, um, well, let me find it where it says the four and 20 elders. There it is. Verse 8, when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and 20 elders, there's, four, there's 24 people in the celestial kingdom. And tell me what they're doing. Sorry, let me do. Well, I got to I got to do 14 and All right, ready? Wait a minute, I want to. Oh, this is five. I want four. There it is. I'm in the wrong chapter. That's why. Okay, so verse four. What does he see in the celestial kingdom? 24 seats, and upon them I saw 24 elders. So here, here are people that are symbolic of people in the celestial kingdom. Now, verse 10. The 24 elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before the throne. Why would you cast your throne, crown? You get to Heavenly Father's presence and you take your crown off and you throw it at his feet. Why? And you're saying what? This crown? I know why I'm wearing a crown. I know why I'm wearing a crown. Why am I wearing a crown? Not because of me, but because of him. Do you see that? It's an act of gratitude. Do you see what's common in all of these people that they fall down? So what is the purpose of the rod? What's the main purpose? Why is it that one group grabs the rod and falls away and another group grabs the rod and never falls away? And they love him. I am going to testify, as we begin this class called Hear Him, I am going to testify that the peace we're all seeking will come if you do what Heavenly Father said on that grove of trees that morning. This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. Don't worry about what everyone else is saying. Find Jesus and hear him. The reason we grab the rod is it's supposed to lead us to him. It's supposed to fill us with love and gratitude and respect for what he did. Those are the people who stay at the tree. So this class is my attempt, our attempt to say, where is Heavenly Father pointing today? How do I better hear him? What do I need to do? So here's where we're gonna go. We're gonna break this into two pieces. 
I hear from Heavenly Father in two ways. One is a personal line of communication. Every one of us has a personal line of communication, meaning he will speak to you personally because you need his help in your life. But we all need help in a general way, so he will speak through the priesthood line. For example, scriptures come through the priesthood line, right? Uh, mission calls. Can you imagine if everyone had to call themselves to a mission? That would be massive confusion, right? And so there's a priesthood line of communication through prophets, seers, and revelators, where they receive things for all of us. And then there's a personal line where I receive things for me. Both of these lines are essential and they're connected. One of the best ways to open up this is to this one. So, for example, the scriptures come through the priesthood line, and holding on to the scriptures is going to open up personal revelation. So we're going to start here. I want to start here and talk about how does Heavenly Father speak to us? I believe that He is speaking to all of us more than we recognize. So here's what we're going to do next Friday. We are going to walk through the scriptures and identify as many ways we can identify that he speaks. I want to blow your mind by showing you so many different ways that he's speaking. And I want you to go, I had no idea. I have taken it for granted. But now I recognize that he is always with me. He is helping me constantly. So that's what we're going to start to do. How does he speak? What are the ways he speaks? What are the different ways so that I can begin to recognize and acknowledge that revelation is coming to me frequently? Of that I testify, that you are hearing his voice and we're all hearing his voice more than we recognize it. But when we pause and recognize, wait a minute, that, that was Heavenly Father. I know it. I know that was Heavenly Father. Two things are going to happen. By recognizing it and being grateful for it, we're going to increase it. For example, have you ever watched like, imagine a child. If I, if I had a child that was just all of a sudden, so, oh, Dad, thank you so much. Thank you so much for making me a lunch and bringing it to my school. What would you want to do for a grateful person? Wouldn't you do more for them? I think the same principle applies is when we acknowledge and are grateful to God, we increase revelation. But the other thing I want to happen is I want your confidence to increase. I want you to walk away over the next couple of weeks confident that God knows who you are and that he is speaking to you. So that's where we're going to go. Hear him. How do I hear him? What do I need to do to increase my ability to hear him? But I bear you my testimony. The people that hear him and don't worry about what everyone else is saying, they have peace. They stay at the tree. They partake of that tree which is designed to make them happy. There is a peace in their lives, even though people sometimes get angry at them. There is a peace in their life because they hear him. 
I testify of that peace in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.